I'm happy to see each one of you. Welcome. Today we do want to talk about a very, very important day, most important day that there is in the future. Last Sunday I spoke about the Bible, about its inspiration, how it's God's word. Kerry, you usually don't see, he lives down in Hanford by Fresno. When we were talking the other day, he said something that so impressed me that I asked him if he would briefly share it with you today. And so I've heard it said that the Bible's not a science book, and this is, I'm getting to what he, what he heard me say at the house, but, but I reply to that statement that the Bible is completely accurate and correct in all that was written, including statements that relate to the earth sciences. So you should not leave your brain at the door when you accept God's word to us. God wants us to appreciate the earth he made for us. That's why he made it that way. When there's a perceived conflict between what we see expressed in the Bible and what we see expressed in nature, revealed in God's uh, creation, I think we should look carefully at our interpretation of the facts of nature and the facts of the Bible, including the context in which the words were written. Since we know that all scripture is inspired by God, and I guess that's what he preached about last week, so... We know that much, so we know that this is totally 100% reliable, and that's the way I look at his creation as well. Now, there's different interpretations of things, but that's, that, that's one thing that I think is very important, especially to the youth, because many of them never even come through the doors of a church because they perceive that this Bible has many faults, and it doesn't. It's completely accurate. Thanks. I thought that would be encouraging to you, especially this thought that when you come to church, you don't have to check in your brain at the door (laughs) to pick it up when you leave. The Bible is accurate. Scientists have certain theories, and they've learned certain things. Christians have certain interpretations, but when you come to the truth, there are true scientific facts, and there are the true and correct understandings of the scripture, and these two do not conflict. The truth is truth from God, whether it be through his creation or whether it be through his written word. As I said earlier, we're looking for the most important day in the future, the glorious return of the Lord Jesus. Today I have a lot of scriptures and in your bulletin, you got a outline there. If it takes me a little while longer than I'd like to find one or two of them, please bear with me, because there are quite a few of them to find here. The glorious return of Christ. Let's begin here with Matthew chapter 24, with the primary scripture reading. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 27. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. 
and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is close. So likewise you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. I tell you assuredly, this generation shall not pass until all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour no man knows, no, not the angels of heaven, nor only my Father. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two in the field. One shall be taken, the other left. Two ladies shall be granting at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. You therefore watch, because you do not know what hour your Lord does come. Now, as is on your outline, I'd like to simply read several statements out of the Bible about Christ's coming. What will it be like? Basically, I don't plan to comment. I just want you to listen very carefully what God's word says about his coming. First one I have listed here is in the book of Revelation. When June and I were at the First Baptist Church of America on a trip across the country, it's found in Rhode Island at Providence. And there at that church, we had a guide and she allowed me to say something from their pulpit. And what did I say? Well, I said from Revelation here, chapter one, verse seven, behold, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him. So that's the first thing we'd like to point out here. Revelation 1.7, he comes with clouds and every eye shall see him. Second scripture found back in our primary scripture, Matthew chapter 24, beginning of verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Yes, he's going to come. The last of the verse says, And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Going to see him come, it says, with power and and great glory. 
in response to a question over the book of Mark, chapter 14, Jesus said this in verse 62. He'd been asked, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. What an amazing statement that is. Going over then to the book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 27. 21, 27. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Then over to 2 Timothy, Chapter 4, the very first verse. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. And lastly, into the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so there are several very clear statements about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest day in our future. Now, it's interesting that I once read that I believe it was some minister who'd counted in the New Testament how many times the return of Christ was spoken of he came up with 318 times. <laughs> I haven't counted it. I'm not verifying that number, but I will say that there are many, many places, as we have seen a few here, in the New Testament which promises the return of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is this return going to be like? First of all, look in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 13, uh, verse um, 11, Acts 1, 11. See, he'd just gone up, his ascension. He'd been raised from the dead. He'd appeared off and on for about 40 days. And now while the disciples were with him, something amazing happened, the ascension into heaven. Two men were standing there, believe they were angels, who also said, You men from Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in a like fashion as you have seen him go into heaven. So there it's very clear that the one who ascended the resurrected Christ <clears throat> He is the very same one who is going to return, this very same Jesus. He's going to come back. But something else we see in this as well, it will be a visible coming. He said, they said he would come back in a similar fashion. He visibly, before their eyes, ascended. He will visibly come back. Every eye shall see him as we saw there in Revelation. 
It will be Jesus himself who returns. Now back to Matthew chapter 24. I'd like to point out that it's visible, very visible in verse 27. Matthew 24, 27. To me, this is an extremely important verse and it's been very meaningful to me through the years. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now there's one thing about lightning. It's not secret, is it? Shines from the east to the west or wherever it may be. Everybody sees it. And so Christ's coming will also be, as we saw from Acts and very vividly see here, visible. It's a glorious visible coming. And it's powerful. We see that also in verse 27. As the lightning comes out of the east, shines even to the west, even so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Lightning is very powerful, <laughs> a very, very powerful thing. It reminds me of something Kerry was sharing with us. One day he was with somebody. Why, why don't you just stand and tell us what, what, you, what happened? <laughs> Interesting, the timing of that, wasn't it? Now, one of th another thing about the coming is that it's not only going to be powerful and glorious, it's going to be unexpected. Matthew 24, verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready, because in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. Luke 12, 40 says the same thing. When you don't think, he says that's when he's going to come. Years ago, and I mentioned this minister before, a, a guy named Robert Murray McShane. He was a very spiritual minister in Scotland. And he died at a very young age. He was 29, died of a heart attack or something like that. But God used him immensely before he took him on to heaven there. And one day he was meeting with a bunch of ministers, fellow pastors, and he asked, do you think Jesus is going to come today? And one by one, each one didn't think so. So then he read to them from Luke chapter 
12 here, verse 40. Be you therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you do not think. <laughs> so all of them had said they didn't think he was coming, and here's the verse that says he's coming when you're not thinking he's coming. So what's the point? We need to be ready, right? But his coming will be therefore unexpected. Now there are those who claim that his coming is gonna be secret, at least his first coming back. The Bible does speak about a second coming, but he came first in birth and then there's gonna be a second coming. Well, what about this coming? Is it gonna be secret, like some claim? In fact, there was a series of books written some years ago, Left Behind. Maybe some of you read some of that series. There were several volumes that came out. And it had a lot of good spiritual things in it, but one of the main thoughts was Jesus is gonna come and nobody's gonna see him except the Christians. The non-Christians will not see him, it'll be secret. And one of the arguments that people use for that is in 1 Thessalonians 5, it talks about his coming being like the coming of a thief in the night. But actually what that is saying is the coming will be, as we point out here, unexpected. People are not ready. The thief sneaks in and it's unexpected. It's not highlighting that nobody's gonna see him that remains alive. It's the unexpectedness that is used in terms of saying he will come back as a thief. Now, it's been about 2,000 years since Jesus went up into heaven that we read about. People might say, well, you know, that's a long time. It looks like he isn't gonna come. But you know, the Bible anticipated this argument. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Peter. Here's what we find in chapter three, beginning in verse three. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, people making fun of it, walking after their own desires and saying, huh, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. People think Jesus isn't coming back. Unbelievers make fun of this teaching that he will return his promise, the prophecy that he's coming back and all that the Bible tells us about that glorious event. But the Bible says they were gonna do this. It anticipates these arguments. Where's the promise of his coming? 2,000 years have gone by. You don't still believe that outmoded thought, do you? But here, it's dealt with. Well, why is he waiting? What's it say beginning in verse eight in that chapter? Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men consider slackness, but he is long-suffering, he's patient toward us. And here's the thing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So 
his coming is being delayed to give people an opportunity to come to him, to repent of their sins, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, for the sins of the whole world, and then proved it by coming alive from the dead, and then being taken on into heaven. And so there the argument is dealt with. Why is he waiting? It's been so long. Surely he's not going to come. Yes, he is going to come. But a thousand years to God, that's like one day. It's only like a couple days, therefore, that he's not come. God sees time differently than we do. But God's promise is solid and secure, regardless of how much time does go by. How then should we wait for Christ's return? What should we do in anticipation of his coming, which will happen in God's time? There are things that make us think it might be pretty close, but we're to look at it as being imminent. At any time, it could happen. How then can people prepare themselves for this great day that God has promised? Acts chapter 2, verse 38, gives us good direction. On the day of Pentecost, Peter had preached a marvelous sermon about Jesus, how he died for our sins, how he was the Messiah who had been promised, how he'd been raised from the dead. And the people were so touched, they finally asked, what should we do? They were convicted that they had done wrong things. They needed forgiveness. They needed to get right with God. So what could they do? Verse 38, Acts 2. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What should people do? They should become Christians. They should repent. That simply means change. Decide to change your mind and your ways. Turn away from sin. Turn to God. Turn away from unbelief. Turn to faith in the Lord Jesus. And prove it. Show your faith by being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we see in the last of the book of Matthew. So he calls them to trust in the Lord, to change their lives, and to show it and be obedient in the waters of baptism. So the first thing then to be ready for his coming is to become a Christian. <laughs> very, very important thing to become a Christian. But then, as a Christian, we need to be busy serving him. Now let's go back to Matthew, part I did not read 24, Matthew 24, beginning in verse 45. <clears throat> I thought it appropriate to go on the same passage here of our primary scripture. Who then, verse 45, <clears throat> is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. I tell you assuredly that he shall make him ruler 
over all his goods. Then he added, But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, to begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken ones, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day that he does not look for, and in an hour that he's not aware of, and shall appoint him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, cut him asunder, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we need to be busy serving him then as Christians. How to be ready? First of all, make sure you trust the Lord Jesus. Secondly, be living for him and show that your faith is real and your life has been changed and he is your Lord. Be serving him and watch, as he said, be ready at all times. His coming is imminent. I'd like to share something with you that really highlights this point. It says, a traveler chanced upon a beautiful estate located on the shores of a pretty lake in Switzerland, far from the beaten path of tourists. The traveler knocked at the garden gate and an old caretaker opened it and invited him in. The old man seemed happy to see him and showed him around the beautiful garden. How long have you been here? The traveler asked. 24 years. And how often has your master been here meanwhile? Four times. When was he last here? 12 years ago. He writes often? Never once. <laughs> From whom do you receive your pay? His agent in mainland. But he comes here often. He has never been here. Who does come then? I am always, almost always alone. It is very, very seldom that even a stranger comes. Yet you have the garden in such perfect order. Everything flourishing as if you were expecting your master's coming tomorrow. As if he were coming today, sir. Today. Well, that's how it should be with us, the Lord, right? Not that he's going to come off in the future sometime, but be ready. He could come at any time. Today, sir. Today. Well, what are some of the results of his coming? Prophecies will be fulfilled. All these times it talks about his coming. They will happen. Judgment will happen. We see that in Acts 17.31 that God is going to judge everybody. But you know, we live in a day and age, people don't want to think about judgment. They think of God as only loving and kind, maybe like a great Santa Claus that comes and gives gifts and never scolds. But no, there is a day of judgment coming. And so when we put our trust in Christ, our judgment has been taken by the Son of God, the Lord. And we don't have to bear that judgment. And so we can look forward to his coming. The unbeliever ought to fear it. But the person who has responded and accepted Jesus, we're to love his coming. It tells us that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 
we need to look forward to it and be ready for it at any time. And there's also this wonderful thing that we will see him face to face. That's found in the great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. When we die or when he comes and takes us up, fellow believers who don't have to die, then we see him face to face. Now we see him through a glass darkly, it says, but then through a mirror, and the mirrors weren't so great back then, but we're going to see him face to face. And so what a wonderful thing it is. You'll see fellow Christians. You'll see family that knew the Lord. There'll be a grand reunion. And you'll see Jesus face to face with that Savior who so loved you. Hopefully you've been serving him and believing him and following him. And there's going to be a reward. We find that in the book of Revelation 22, the last chapter, verse 12. Let's look at that. That's important enough to check out. It says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work what it shall be. He comes quickly, and he's going to bring reward to those who believe in him and have faithfully served him. And it's a wonderful thing, the way we find it almost the end of this book, the last book of the Bible, in verse 20, a prayer. Uh, we prayed this in our singing. It was part of the song that we sang earlier. Who testifies these things says, He's talking about Jesus. I come quickly. Amen. And then here's the prayer. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And so that should be our heart cry to God. Come. We love your appearing. We love you. We're looking forward to a far better time. A lady called up my wife the other day one of our neighbors, and she asked June whether she'd rather die and go to heaven or stay alive down here. Well, that's a very interesting question. How would you answer a question like that? Apostle Paul dealt with that issue. Really, he gave his answer to that question and it pretty well paralleled what, what June answered her. It's found in Philippians chapter 1, verses, verse 23. I am in a strait between two things. In other words, he was like being pulled two ways. Having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. So the Apostle Paul says, yes, I would like to leave this world. I'd like to be with Christ, and that's a whole lot better, <laughs> better than this life down here. But then he also said, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, in other words, to stay alive in this world, is more needful for you. So he said, I've got a work to do down here to help you. So he was pulled two ways. He'd like to go far better, 
but also he'd like to stay and help them. And so that's a good attitude, isn't it? Should it not be our attitude? Should we not make sure that we believe in Jesus and are busy serving him, are following him day by day, are yearning for and loving for his reappearing? He's coming again, solidly proclaimed in the word of God. We look forward to that great day. May we each and every one be ready and help others to be ready as well. Shall we pray? We thank you, Lord. We know you could come today if you chose. May we be ready at all times. You've told us we do not know the day or the hour. And so we need not accept when people start telling us, oh, he's going to come at such a time or on such a day. You said nobody knows that. And we don't. And so therefore we need to be ready, Lord, all the time. May we truly love your appearing. May we not be afraid because we trust you. And may we be living for you every day. May we let your light shine brightly through our lives, things we say, things we do. May you be honored. And so, Lord, we pray, come quickly. May we commit ourselves now to you in our hearts, affirming our faith and our watchfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.